Thank you, Pastor David. And uh, glad you could all make it through all the storms and all that sort of thing. So uh, praise the Lord. Yes, it was an interesting night last night. Some people wanted to know why I was dressed the way I was. I was dressed like this. I said, well, I've worn this for the last hundred years, so I'll probably be still wearing it another hundred years. So there we go. So praise the Lord. Yes, okay. Uh, thank you for those testimonies. Testimonies are great, and all the people said. Amen. Amen. Um, I might start off by telling another testimony. You may have heard this, but it's worth repeating. <clears throat> There's a family in an assembly on the east coast of Australia, and uh, we know them quite well. And uh, one of their sons was at uh, playing soccer uh, regularly, and uh, the father went along with his son. And another father approached uh, him and uh, said, Now, um, I've been watching your son. He's different to all the other children in a good way. And uh, so he said, I've heard that he goes to a church and that you go to a church. Said, yeah, that's right. Are you accepting new members? <laughs> said, oh, I guess we could fit another family in. So um, the net result of that is the lad and his mum and dad, the whole family have come to the Lord and very happily involved in the assembly. Now that all started off because of a young boy being a good testimony. And what is it about a testimony? A testimony is something which is different to what the average person has. It's what God has done in our lives. And sometimes we might think, oh, you know, a child growing up in the fellowship, we had the 21st last night, and all the people who gave testimonies there had been born into the fellowship or came um, when they were very young. But they've got a great testimony. They're different. They don't do a lot of the things that people at school and work do and so on. So <clears throat> I want to talk about us being different. And um, <clears throat> so we've got to realise that when we come to the Lord, that God makes us different. The miracle that happens, you've heard the two brothers here, and you could have heard many other people that give a testimony of how God made a difference in their life, changed us from what we used to be, whether we'd come from, uh, you know, a broken family as uh, our brother Luke or as uh, Andrew came from you know, a well-to-do family and so on. I was in the latter category there. My folks were good people in the natural, but something was missing. And when I received the Holy Spirit, there was a big change in my life. Maybe not outwardly. I didn't suddenly become handsome or anything like that. Uh, but uh, I, I was changed on the inside. What was missing in my life? I had a satisfaction. I knew the answer. God had come in and filled me with the Spirit. So there we go. Now, <clears throat> I want to just start off by taking you back to the book of Exodus to, um, <clears throat> because a lot of the New Testament is really based on the Old. I guess the Old Testament is really the total basis for the coming of the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, God was uh, dealing with a particular nation. I've got to open it to Exodus chapter 11. And <clears throat> this was the nation of Israel. They were the descendants of Abraham, <clears throat> and they had, uh, there was a particular period in their history 
when they were getting quite a large family, but there was a terrible drought where they lived and they finished up, we won't go through the whole story with Joseph and all that sort of thing, but they finished up down in Egypt and they settled there. But after a few hundred years, well, God's ch uh, children have lots of children, that's a fairly given. And uh, so they multiplied and they were actually put into slavery by the Egyptians. And so they cried out to God uh, for deliverance and God uh, obliged. And it came to a point where they were about to leave. There'd been a lot of plagues that had affected the Egyptians. And God said, there's going to be one more. And the firstborn and each of the household of the Egyptians is going to die tonight. But the Israelites will be protected, provided that they slay an animal, a lamb, and paint the doorposts and lintels with blood. And when the angel of death comes through, it will... Um, it will pass over the Israelite households, but the firstborn of each in the Egyptian households would die. And so that's why it became known as the Passover, which became a feast which was celebrated annually for the next thousand years or so. And I want to just read a verse in uh, Exodus chapter 11 and verse 7, where God is saying that when the, the angel of death came through this night, but against all of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, and not, a dog wouldn't even bark or bite, against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And then he went on to establish this far, Passover feast, where in this particular night, they did as they were told, and the, uh, the angel of death passed over where the houses were painted, the doorposts were painted with the blood of the slain animal. And this, of course, was a type of what Jesus was going to do for spiritual Israel, that we would have the blood of Christ protecting us from eternal damnation when it is applied the way that God says it has to be, it's nothing physical about it. We're going to have a communion service later where we remember the blood of Jesus Christ, that he is our Passover lamb because of him dying in our place that we have the opportunity for everlasting life. Now, there were a lot of other things that happened to the nation of Israel which did, didn't happen to any other nations. They, um, not long after this event, they passed through the Red Sea miraculously and the Egyptians who tried to follow them were drowned. They came to Mount Sinai and God spoke to them there through Moses. And uh, there was a great demonstration of God's power and the law was given, the Ten Commandments and other associated statutes and so on. Later on, they... Uh, uh, did I tell you they went through the Red Sea? Well, they did anyway, miraculously. And at the end of 40 years in the wilderness, they came to the River Jordan. And again, a miracle happened that the, the river was stopped so that they could go across into the promised land. They came to the city of Jericho, which was all locked up. But uh, God performed a miracle and the walls came tumbling down after they'd blown the trumpets. And I've heard trumpets and I'm not surprised it uh, fell down, particularly the way some people play them. And uh, so then they uh, established in the promised land uh, for many years and uh, they, God sent them judges 
to, to watch over them and to direct them. They were like prophets that were actually like governors in the land. And the last of these was a prophet called Samuel, a very famous person. And I want to take you right through a few hundred years and bring you up to 1 Samuel and chapter 8, where we're going to just read a little thing that happened here. God was looking after them. They would do things wrong and then they'd get a, a new judge and he would uh, uh, raise up and he'd put them back on the right track again. But uh, after many years, you read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 8, how that Samuel, who'd done a great job for many years, he got old and he appointed his sons um, to, to be judges and uh, they were not a good choice. And so the people objected to this and they had a legitimate concern because they were wondering how things were going to go. And so instead of looking to God for a godly solution, they said to Samuel, we want to be like the other nations. We want to have a king that can, can lead us, a visible head. And, uh, and Samuel was upset. He knew this was wrong. And so he prayed to God and God said, look, they've rejected God, not Samuel. And, uh, and God said, look, if they really want a king, you warn them. You, they can have a king. And the one that they got really looked the part. Externally, he looked great. He was a big, tall fellow, you know, would have been good at basketball. He would have been a, a ruckman in the AFL or whatever. I don't know whether they... I don't think they'd heard of AFL back then, but anyway... Um, but, or basketball. So anyway, they made, uh, they, they said, you can have this king, but, but I'm warning you that you'll regret it because he will take over and he, instead of the tithes going to the priesthood where they were supposed to, he'll take those, he'll more or less enslave your kids and all this sort of thing and, uh, and you're going to cry out. And so they warned of all this, but in 1 Samuel chapter 8, um, in verse 19 we read, Nevertheless the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so they said, We want to copy the heathen. The name Israel means ruling with God. This wasn't in the blueprint that God had given to them, but they wanted to copy the heathen. Now, this is all examples that we need to take into the New Testament. We, when we come to the Lord, become spiritual Israel, and, and Jesus Christ is our King. And we need to take our directions from Him. And sometimes the people that uh, are supposed to be representing Jesus Christ, uh, the leaders even, uh, cannot be good. And there is a lot and lot of, uh, uh, lots and lots of uh, people who've claimed to be uh, shepherds, pastors, uh, ministers, servants of God who have fallen down. And sometimes people say, they'll turn away from Christianity and they'll turn to what the rest of the world is doing. That's not the answer. Because some people who claim to be representing God are not doing the job, that's, don't blame God for that. So don't copy the world is the message. Let's go to the New Testament. I've got so many things here I want to talk about, so I have to, which are used to me. Anyway, let's go to uh, the Gospel of John on chapter 1. And 
we read there about uh, John the Baptist introducing Jesus. And we read in verse 29 of John 1, the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. The shedding of his blood is going to protect you, save you from your sin, provided that you apply it in the right way. And he goes on to tell it how it needs to be applied. And um, he goes down to say, um, well, just for the sake of time, in verse, uh, he said in verse 31, I knew him not, but he that made me, that he should be made manifest to Israel. This is what John is saying of Jesus. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom you shall see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the son of God. And so what was to happen was that the people were to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Just as the blood was applied over the doorposts back in, in Egypt to, so that they could be protected from, uh, from natural death, well, the blood of Jesus Christ was to be applied in our lives and it was applied when we turn to the Lord as we read so often in Acts 2.38, we repent of our sins, we get baptised in water and God seals us with the Holy Spirit. This is the Son of God. And that's what makes us different. That's why we have a testimony of what we used to be and what we have become now. God changed us by a miracle and uh, we have to continue to cooperate with that. And I can shout louder. Okay, so, yeah, I don't know how loud. But um, anyway, aren't you glad you didn't go to the football? Okay. All right. Now, <clears throat> just as um, Israel was given their commission, so the church is given its commission. Can you hear me out there? Okay. All right. Now, you know this one, Mark 16, verse 15. I don't know if I even need to turn it up. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel to every creature. It wasn't just for Israel. Israel had been set up as a nation and they were different to all the others. God did special things for them. But now, because Israel had failed and because the law was something which they were not keeping, God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and became a sacrifice for our sin so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the law but after the spirit romans chapter 8 verse 4 okay in case you want to check up on me okay so there we go or maybe verse 3 so there we are so now go into all the world and preach the gospel i can tone down a little bit now okay uh, so go into all the world Tell everybody about this. It's not just for those who are born as Israelites. There was a slight exception to that, that you could become an Israelite, you became a proselyte, you could become part of it, but very few ever did. But now there's the opportunity. Go and tell everybody. God has got a new covenant through his son, Jesus Christ. They have to respond to the gospel. Signs would follow you going to read in Mark chapter 16. And miracles happen. 
And you've heard of a couple here today, and we can tell you lots of miracles that have happened in our lives. God changed us. We sing a chorus. Things are different now. Something happened to me, and we were certainly changed. We're born again of water and the Spirit. And so now we are to go out and we're to enlist disciples for Jesus Christ. We're to call people that they can be born again. They were born naturally and all of our backgrounds are many and varied and praise the Lord these days we're seeing in our fellowship people coming from all over the world and they're coming here. One of our pastors said recently, you know, we've been saying you've got to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're busy preaching the gospel to the world that's coming here. So hallelujah, praise the Lord. And, and what I find is that people have come from other countries are more ready to listen than what the average Aussie is because we're true Israelites, stiff-necked and rebellious. But uh, anyway, praise the Lord. So there we go. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. <coughs> Acts chapter 1. <coughs> and um, Jesus died, shed his blood, rose again from the dead. And before he went to heaven, he had a parting message for his disciples. Acts 1 verse 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now, I, I found that verse very applicable in my life because I was born into a family that went to church. Uh, I went to a, a church boarding school, supposed to be taught to be a Christian gentleman, which didn't work. Um, and uh, in fact, when I received the Holy Spirit, um, I uh, witnessed to some neighbours, a couple of lads I'd grown up with, and uh, they became very interested. And I didn't know how interested they were, but they spoke to their Lutheran minister. And he called me to his office. And he, uh, he said that he appealed to me. He said, John, he said, as gentleman to gentleman, would you leave my people alone? And uh, so I didn't get a chance to answer him then. But a few weeks later, I met him in the street of Sejina. And I said, oh, Reverend Matiski. I don't know I called him Reverend, but his name was Matiski. So not surprisingly, he was a Lutheran. And uh, so I said, you know, you know, the question about appealing to me to be a, a, a gentleman and leave your people alone. I said, I think I'd sooner be a Christian than a gentleman. So, uh, and he didn't think that was very nice. Anyway, so praise the Lord. So <clears throat> we come to, how did I get onto all of that? So there we go. But, oh yes, before I received the Holy Spirit, I was actually so serious about Christianity, I was even thinking of becoming a Methodist minister and uh, <clears throat> of course the deal with that you had to wear your collar on back to front you go to a theological college for several years and you'd come out with some university degrees and then you'd be called the reverend and uh, yeah anyway I'll digress with another story because when we had the official hall opening in Lismore when they bought the big RSL hall up there and they had a member of parliament in there and uh, I was to officially open the, the hall. And this member of parliament referred to me uh, as the right reverend. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I didn't think it was such an insult because all the others are the wrong reverends. But anyway, <laughs> so 
Look, I'm never going to get through what I was going to talk about, so I slept too well last night. You're probably half the time these days I'm half asleep, so now I'm putting you half asleep. So, so anyway, in this verse it says, don't go out to preach the gospel until you get power from on high, until you receive the Holy Spirit. And of course, I have received the Holy Spirit, so I'm entitled to preach the gospel. And most of you have received the Holy Spirit. So you're not only entitled to preach the gospel, we're commanded to preach it. So praise the Lord. Verse 5, John truly baptised with water, but you shall be baptised with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Okay, let's go over to chapter 10. And uh, we see here where uh, Peter, who'd uh, been brought up uh, as a Jew, and um, he didn't fraternise with other nations of people, but God showed him <clears throat> that he meant business when he said to them, <clears throat> go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, Peter, being a bit thick, he didn't really get it. And he, he was still <clears throat> stuck in his traditions. And that's what happens to us if we're not careful. Even though we're spirit-filled, we can still stick to our traditions. So God had to show him that Cornelius, who was a Roman uh, centurion, that he was a genuine person who would embrace the truth. You have to go and, and, and see him and preach the gospel to him. And, uh, and Peter had to realise that God is no respecter of persons. And uh, we read uh, how he went there. He said, that's for you, wanting to find the reference in this verse 34 and 35 there of, uh, of Acts 10. But in verse 44, Peter's preaching to them and he said, the Holy Ghost, while he spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word and they of the circumcision, that's the Jews, the people from Israel, which believed were astonished as many who came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. God's good at surprises. He's, he's, he's good at filling people with the Holy Spirit that others that are standing by didn't think would ever happen. And that happened on the 31st of December 1957 in the RSL Hall in Sejuno when there were people there who were absolutely amazed that I received the Holy Spirit. And uh, because, you know, when I turned up two nights before, I had two uh, accessories with me which were not uh, really, didn't really normally fit. One of the accessories was a Bible and the other one was a Methodist minister. Uh, but on two nights later, I received the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and people were astonished. He's too churchy. He couldn't possibly be interested, but God sees inside and uh, so on. Anyway, praise the Lord. So there we go. So they received, and they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, and then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. That's because baptism is part of the contract. And it's no good just saying, oh, I'm spirit-filled, I don't need to get baptised. And neither is it any good saying, I've been baptised, I don't need to receive the Holy Spirit. You need to do all three, repent, be baptised and receive the Spirit. Over in chapter 15, <coughs> we see how Paul, uh, Peter rather, had to defend himself because 
all of the um, tradition uh, had, um, had sort of taken hold of people and he got himself into trouble a couple of times. Peter, you went in to talk to Gentiles. <clears throat> so here we see in chapter 15 and uh, we read in verse 6 um, or verse 7, and when they had been much disputing about whether the Gentiles could be saved or not, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knows the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Uh, filled with the Holy Ghost, same evidence, they spoke in tongues. Um, even as he did not, And he put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. So... <clears throat> no longer is the difference between a nation of natural people and the rest of the world. The difference now is that people of all nations, backgrounds, colours and creeds come to the Lord, they repent, they get baptised, they receive the Spirit, they're born again, and they collectively, we and the millions of other people around the world who are filled with the Holy Spirit walking with the Lord become spiritual Israel and there is a difference between us and the rest of the world. And we've got to stick together. We've got to support each other. We've got to pray for each other because there's a lot more out there than there is in here. Anyway, praise the Lord. But sadly, what I want to talk about, if I've left myself any time to do this, is that <clears throat> there are things which we do because we believe that's what the Bible teaches that some, that many other or few other churches actually do. And I, when I was here at the, the prayer and fast, I just mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I thought I'd just try and run through it if I can um, uh, be uh, quick as to why we are separate, why we don't fellowship with other churches why it is that we don't have fellowship with the things of this world. And these are just a list of things, and I'll try and run through them, and there are more, and I can give you all the scriptural references if you like, but uh, we'll, we'll touch on it. First of all, the doctrine of salvation. We believe, our logo, Acts 2.38, that that is totally essential for salvation you've got to repent you've got to be baptized by full immersion you've got to receive the holy spirit and you'll speak in tongues that's the beginning that's the starting point that's being born again and so most churches don't preach that some receive the holy spirit some are already baptized and so on but they don't believe that it is essential and as a result of this you can hold churches maybe hundreds even thousands of people in them where some are spirit-filled and, and many are not. Some are baptised and many are not, but they say, oh, but they're saved anyway. No, they're not. They haven't uh, completed the deal. We are a church that believes that you should regularly partake of communion, which we're doing here today, which in itself, because it's a follow-on from the old Passover feast where God said this is going to prove the difference, the fact that we, we should be doing that every Sunday when we gather here be reminded that we're different. God has made us different. And it's not that we put our noses up in the air and say, oh, we're holier than thou. It's because we appreciate that God delivered us 
from the condemnation that we're under. We have the voice gifts of the Spirit that operate regularly. Very few churches, even those who claim to be Pentecostal, will do that these days. We have uh, church order. We believe everything should be done decently and in order. There are places where people speak in tongues and they are an embarrassment to us because they uh, fall on the floor, they shout and scream at, uh, uh, you know, any old time and, uh, you know, they, they fall over and uh, they have Toronto blessings and they uh, have slain in the spirit they claim, which are all unscriptural things that they do. They cast devils out of spirit-filled people who couldn't possibly have them and a whole range of things. So we, we're a disciplined church. The church of the Bible was. You read where Paul wrote to some of the churches and said, look, <clears throat> things are out of order. You've got immorality in the church. It's got to be dealt with. We believe in that and we do our best to do so. Uh, people bring up about the role of women, uh, that they, uh, they should have women preachers. Well, uh, people ask me about it. I said, well, simple answer is this. When Jesus his, chose his disciples, he chose 12 men. So maybe that was a pattern that he was setting for us. And in fact, in Timothy, it tells us that we suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man. Our sisters are wonderful saints in the Lord, and without them, well, without them, we wouldn't be here, would we? And so, but they do a fantastic job, and uh, I believe our ladies are very happy in the role that they are performing. And whenever there's any talk of, of, of ladies needing to... Uh, you know, come out the front and pray for people and to, uh, you know, to start giving talks and all that sort of thing. Most of our ladies say, oh, no, not me. And, uh, and don't worry, while I'm still breathing, it's not likely to happen, nor uh, a few others. Not that I've got anything against them. I, uh, <clears throat> yeah, why should I? I've got a, a wonderful wife and we work well together. Yeah, I mentioned about discipline. We deal with that. <clears throat> these days they even have gay priests and um, I've got a note here on this thing uh, homosexuality like any other sin is not to be part of a saint's life in Romans 1 we can give you details there where it very clearly points out that this this is an abomination in the sight of God how can a person undertaking such practices be a shepherd of Christ's flock and it's not just Catholic Church and so on you know they have them uh, well, the Uniting Church, Victor Harbour, that we had a family that came along there because the, the lady minister had taken in her lady, uh, what do they call them? Yeah, anyway, another lady that was with her. And so they, they didn't think that was right. John, as they say, if John Wesley was alive today, he'd turn in his grave. So uh, anyway, praise the Lord. So I think they need that one. Drugs. We choose not to be addicted or controlled by drugs unless we do not take any mind-altering drugs as cigarettes, alcohol and recreational drugs. Rather, we seek to be full of the Spirit. We believe that Christ is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. The Bible is complete. It's the only authority that we go by. Okay, there's more. <clears throat> Second Timothy 3 tells us that the last day's perilous times shall come. They're here, all around us. And uh, so it says they'll have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof from such turn away. Second Corinthians 2, 
says, uh, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Come out and be separate and I'll receive you, God says. So um, there we go. Romans 12, I might quote that at the end. Um, <clears throat> 1 Timothy 2 to, directs us to dress modestly. The world's dress fashions can be immodest or extreme and so we choose not to follow the world. Ephesians 5 says, Be not drunk or softened with wine so we don't drink alcohol. 1 Thessalonians 5 says in verse 22, we abstain from all appearance of evil. And the simple answer to that is when in doubt, don't. There's plenty of good things to do. So <clears throat> how do we live in this world but stay separate from it? We make choices, and here's a few things. We carefully select magazines, book, and movies that we watch, and the use of the TV and the internet taking account of Romans 1.32 and Philippians 4.8. You know, Philippians says, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, and of good report, think on these things. And if we're going to think on these things, we don't fill our mind up with other rubbish because how can you, you do that? Anyway, we make friends and nurture relationships with, with our peers while not participating in any activities that would compromise our relationship with God or cause a brother or sister to stumble, drinking, clubbing, most sort of parties, not dressing uh, modestly and gambling. We should avoid any romantic relationships with unbelievers. Yes, I'll read that again. We should avoid any romantic relationships with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Begin with the intent that they, the unbelievers, should go out with Christ before they go out with you. That's a good one, isn't it? They should go out with Christ before they go out with you. Now, look, we, we have some wonderful stories of people who have met somebody that they maybe feel a little attracted to and so on, and uh, <coughs> of how that it's turned out. I mean, Andrew mentioned uh, of uh, uh, how that um, he was impressed with Karen's testimony, and, um, but they went about it the right way, and they finished up getting married and living happily ever after even with having kids. So uh, there we go. So, uh, <clears throat> and there's plenty of other stories like that. And uh, I was talking to a sister last night from, from interstate and similar sort of story uh, now that she uh, uh, brought this man to the Lord. In fact, they were so interested in each other, she actually moved to another city when he first came to the Lord to give him a chance to settle in and the brothers in that fellowship looked after him and they're wonderfully happily married now with a couple of dear little kids. Anyway, so there we go. We respect our parents, the elders and pastors and obey them because we know that they watch for our souls. Religion, God has given this fellowship pastors who feed you with knowledge and understanding. I'll quote you some scripture quotes there if you want them. Others outside our fellowship are not your pastors, cannot watch for your souls and do not have to give account to God how they have guided you. As your pastors and responsible shepherds um, and, and to avoid possible compromise or confusion, we ask you not to attend other fellowship meetings or activities, Hebrews 13, uh, verse um, 17, 18. Uh, Matthew 15 calls the Pharisees blind leaders of the blind who led others into the ditch. Today there are those that argue against the simple message of salvation that Christ Jesus gave us. So um, there we go. 
not much more. Revelation 18 talks about the Catholic Church. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partaker of her plagues. That's what most of the Protestants have done. They protested for a while, and now we're protesting about them not protesting anymore. Anyway, Acts 20 says uh, about the leaders, we take heed to ourselves and the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made us overseers. We protect the flock from wolves and discipline our own who would draw away disciples after them. Uh, Colossians 1 tells us our responsibility, the oversight, is to preach, to warn and teach in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, mature and complete in Christ Jesus. Our attitude is described in 2 Corinthians 1, 24, not that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. And in 2 Timothy 2, 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, able to teach patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. And in 1 Peter 5, neither as being lords over God's heritage, being examples to the flock. And Amos finishes up by telling us two cannot walk together unless they agree. So God makes us separate. And I think I might have time to squeeze in a couple of other verses. If we have a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <coughs> Still awake? Okay, had a couple of responses, that's good. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, <coughs> read in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. That's talking about homosexuals. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, <coughs> nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But things are different now. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are set apart but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And verse 19 tells us, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, <clears throat> which you have of God and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And Romans 12, we'll finish there, promise. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's all we can do, really. I mean, we cannot make rules and enforce them with, um, you know, arresting people and uh, dragging them off to, uh, like they did on the stage last night, and sending them off into 100 years from now and all that sort of rubbish. But uh, we can only plead with people. We beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, because Jesus gave up everything for us, it's only reasonable that we should make some sacrifices for him. And <clears throat> quite often the sacrifices we, we make really save our life. How many people, I wonder, who are here today who would honestly think that if it hadn't been for God coming into their life and filling them with the Holy Spirit, they'd be dead now. I wonder how many of you are in that position. I won't ask you to. Yeah, there's a few hands gone up. Yeah, yeah there, was, there was more awake than I thought. Anyway, so there we go. And be not conformed to this world. 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, this is this wonderful verse that tells us if you conform to this world, you just deliberately make up your mind. The other kids are dressing this way. The other kids are talking this way. The other fellows at, at work you know, are, are doing certain things and all this sort of thing. So you conform to them because you sort of don't want to be left out. But be ye transformed, a different word, it's metamorpho in the Greek, from which we get the process of metamorphosis. It's, a, it's something which is instilled in us when the Holy Spirit comes within. It's a power, it's a, it's a life that is manifest within us that changes. Metamorphosis is the process of which a grub changes through process into a beautiful butterfly. And that's what we needed most of us, before we came to the Lord, our minds were very grubby. But now, because they're being flushed clean by the Word of God and the, the prayer and the fellowship with the saints, and the wonderful thoughts are coming out of our minds now, and we think Scripture, we think uh, chorus and hymns and songs, and we go around praising the Lord, being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, and I'm way over time as usual, so I'll get out of here. All right, praise the Lord.